Let's read together. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Many people think that becoming a Christian is like joining a new club. After they say the magic words, then they can just sit back and coast into heaven. After all, they think, we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ, by what he did on, by what he did on the cross and not our own works. Right? Right. That's the first step. But what do we do after that? Coasting into heaven isn't what God had in mind. Does a lifeguard shout out to a drowning person, you'll be okay out there, I'm a lifeguard. No, a lifeguard has been trained and is actively involved in protecting people. How about a Christian? When a Christian sees someone in desperate need, should the Christian shout out, hang on, you'll be okay. Have faith that we, that you will get something to eat. Is that what a Christian should be saying? Should a Christian give more than a word of encouragement? According to Pastor James, faith without action to back it up is useless. You can't separate faith and works. Faith comes first. Faith, in turn, gives you the power to serve God by helping others. Real faith believes and then does. Let's bow for our opening prayer. Faithful Father, we are gathered this day in the name of the one whom you promised to send, your Messiah. You kept your word. You sent your very best. In Jesus, we find your tender mercy. In Jesus, we know what true love is. In Jesus, we find peace, your peace, and your justice. In Jesus, we have hope. We hope because our future is still ahead and because you are at work behind the scenes of this world to ensure your kingdom will come in the fullness of time. Loving Father, we await the fulfillment of your great kingdom. We feel empowerment in our worship through the blessing of your Holy Spirit. We feel covered with your presence as we open the door to our hearts and lives so that the one who knocks may enter, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus, who taught us how to pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Matthew chapter 14, verses 35 through Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. 
people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Two things your mother probably told you. One, wash your hands before coming to the table. Two, don't say mean things. I find it interesting that dirty hands and mean words generated a controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees. But they did. The Pharisees came to Jesus pointing their fingers at the disciples and said, they don't wash their hands before they eat. And that's an exact quote from verse 2. I mean, during the first two years of his public ministry, the popularity ratings of Jesus in, gallery, in Galilee soared through the roof, off the charts. Although the people from his hometown of Nazareth threw him out, Others in Galilee wanted to make him king, especially after he miraculously fed 5,000 people. His popularity alarmed King Herod, who was appointed by Rome to keep the thumb on, his thumb on the Jews. And even more notable was his popularity that alarmed the ultra-religious Pharisees who were headquartered in Jerusalem. The Pharisees considered themselves the good guys, but Jesus had a different opinion about them. Jesus had some choice words for them. He referred to them in other portions of scripture as hypocrites and snakes. The Pharisees kept the, the Old Testament law strictly. And not only that, they also invented other laws to keep someone from accidentally breaking the Old Testament commandments by, in, in error. And a good example of an extra law is found in Matthew chapter 15, where we can read about the washing hands before eating controversy. When your mother told you to wash your hands before coming to dinner, she was thinking about cleanliness, but not so with the Pharisees. Their concern was religious tradition, not cleanliness. They didn't know about germs. But the people weren't concerned about tradition. As they crowded around Jesus, they came from everywhere to get close to him. People brought their sick loved ones just to touch the edge of his cloak. And everyone who touched his cloak were, were healed. That's what scripture just, just showed us. Matthew chapter 14, verses 35 and 36. And no doubt, while Jesus was busy healing all those sick people... Some of his disciples were nibbling on some first century snacks. Then when the Pharisees arrived from Jerusalem, they saw the people and the disciples eating without washing their hands properly, breaking the religious tradition. There were a lot of sick people flocking around Jesus. Were the Pharisees concerned about the sanitary aspects of hand-washing? No. 
they were upset because their religious laws were being broken. They would, they would lift their hands so that water would not run down and accumulate on their fingertips. Tradition even told them how much water they could use. And then to top it off, they would reverse the order and their hands would point downward. Of course, there was no Old Testament law that specified how to wash hands. But the Pharisees were experts in elaborating how things should be done. And how did Jesus respond? He said that the Pharisees disobeyed scripture by following their strict traditions. And he offered an example. The command, Ten Commandments tell us to honor our parents. But the Pharisees had a way around that. A Pharisee who had money could declare his money as a gift devoted to God. In fact, it was common for a Pharisee to declare all his possessions to be what they called karban, a gift devoted to God, and thus escape all obligations to support their parents. The hypocrisy was so obvious, and Jesus called them out. The Pharisees claimed their traditions would help people keep the law, but in actuality, their extra laws provided loopholes for them to break the law. After Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their hand-washing ritual, he also got into the question of clean and unclean foods. And Jesus summarized the matter by saying that the problem is not with the food that goes into your mouth, but with the thoughts and actions that come out of your heart. Matthew chapter 15, verses 16 through 20. Are you, this is Jesus speaking, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Talk about straightforward. Jesus was concerned about clean hearts, not kosher food. He didn't come to establish a new religion with, new, with a new set of rules and regulations. People can change their diet. Religious folk can change their rituals. But only Jesus can change the way you think. Once Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to enter within you to change the way you think, you can become filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit changes a person from the inside out, and it will happen if you allow the Holy Spirit, the power within you, to change you. Well, obviously, Jesus was not concerned about kosher food. But guess what? He did attend some dinner parties occasionally. There was a wedding in Cana where his ministry began when he turned water into wine. Another time he ate dinner with Matthew and his friends who were tax collectors. 
that dinner must have raised a lot of eyebrows among the religious elite because the religious elite despised tax collectors for collaborating with the occupying forces of Rome. Another time, or many, many, quite a few other times, he ate dinner with Martha and Mary. But this afternoon, I would like to, us to consider the story of an uninvited guest, guest at another dinner party Jesus attended. The story is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm not going to read all those verses, but as the story goes, one evening, Jesus ate dinner at the home of Simon the Pharisee. This was probably an unusual social engagement for Jesus. It seems strange that, well, it seems sort of strange to me that Jesus was invited to eat dinner at the home of a Pharisee because Pharisees didn't like to be linked to Jesus. But still, it was customary for the leading resident of a town to invite a visiting dignitary to his house for dinner. And that invitation would stand whether he liked the visiting dignitary or not. And perhaps in this case, the Pharisees' motive, the Pharisees motive was simply to entrap Jesus not to learn from him. The dinner table would have been in the house courtyard visible, easily accessible from the street. The guests did not sit on chairs. Rather, they reclined on low couches, leaning on the left arm with the head forward and the feet hanging off the cushion behind them. Guests would take off their sandals before reclining on the, on the couches, their, fit, their feet sticking out in the back. The Bible doesn't say who the guests were or the other guests but from their reactions to what took place next, we can guess that they were Pharisees just like Simon. A woman from the street came into the courtyard with a jar of perfume. It wasn't unusual for people to gawk or even enter the courtyard during a dinner party. Home courtyards were open, sort of like a carport people outside could stand and stare at what was happening, especially if there was a visiting guest celebrity. The woman entered and stood behind Jesus. She was a street person. She had a lot of nerve coming right up to an honored guest, but she quickly began to weep uncontrollably. Her tears fell on the feet of Jesus, and she knelt unbound her hair, and she wiped his feet with her hair. Then she kissed his feet, and she poured perfume on his feet. Had she no shame? A decent Jewish woman would never let down her hair in public. It was a sure sign of her profession as a prostitute. No doubt, the dinner conversation stopped. An awkward silence must have followed. Simon wanted to see how Jesus would react. But Jesus did nothing. The woman had poured perfume on his feet, wiped them with their hair, and she kissed them. The guests and the host were embarrassed. And Jesus knew what Simon was thinking. Why didn't you stop that street woman? 
If you are truly a prophet, you would know what kind of a woman she is. In Simon's mind, it wasn't necessary to be a brilliant prophet to figure out that the woman was a town prostitute. Finally, Jesus broke the extended silence and he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Jesus proceeded to do what he does so well. He told a story. Verses 41 and 42. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Sounds like an easy question. Simon answered that question cautiously, perhaps reluctantly. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus acknowledged, acknowledged his correct answer. And then Jesus asked Simon another easy question. Do you see this woman? Verse 44. Jesus didn't wait for a reply for that question. Of course, Simon saw her. Everyone saw her. Everyone had been embarrassed by her actions. Everyone thought she had ruined their dinner ambiance. But Simon hadn't really seen her. He saw the label, the label placed on her because of her past. She was a sinner. She worked for the streets. Simon didn't see her as a person. He didn't see what she could become. He also didn't see what was happening in the moment. And then Jesus scolded Simon for his harsh attitude. Jesus continued by saying, When I came into your house, Simon, you didn't give me water to wash my feet, which was customary for the host to provide. You didn't give me a kiss. The kiss of greeting was also customary. You didn't anoint my head with oil. Another duty of a host for an honored guest. Simon hadn't performed his duties well. Ironically, it was the woman off the street who had, who had done all those things. Jesus had underscored a major theme in his ministry. Just like on another occasion, when he said that prostitutes and tax collectors could enter God's kingdom or would enter God's kingdom ahead of the religious leaders. Why? Because gaining heaven is not about piling up good conduct points for what we do. Gaining heaven is about responding with love and gratitude to a merciful God who gives forgiveness. Luke 7, verse 47. Her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus knew the sordid life this woman had been living, but he also knew that God's grace was greater than all her sins. Then he drove home the difference between Simon and the woman. She had a lot of sins to be forgiven. She responded with love. On the other hand, Simon considered himself very righteous. He felt no need for forgiveness. He felt no need 
to show much love. Simon and his fellow Pharisees were not able to attain God's standards. The same goes for us. And those Pharisees were certainly guilty of the sin of pride, which made it so difficult for them to follow Jesus. Why should we repent? They thought, we have so few sins, we have no need to repent. So they thought. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go into peace. After chastising Simon, Jesus turned to the woman and de declared her sins forgiven. I can imagine the buzzing around the table picked up again. Does he think he can forgive sins? The sins of this, dis this woman of disrepute? Who does he think he is? God? Jesus didn't seem to pay attention to all that chatter. Instead, he commended the woman for her faith, and he sent her on her way. It wasn't her tears. It wasn't the love that she showed that saved her. What do we read? Your faith has saved you. It was her faith that saved her. Throughout scripture, faith means far more than simple mental acceptance. It means trusting, relying, depending. This woman knew that she had nothing of merit to offer God, but Jesus preached that God would forgive sin, and she clung to that message. Her extravagant act of love was the consequence, what? It was the consequence of her faith, amazing faith. And what happened next to this woman? When Jesus sent her on her way, he said literally, go into peace. Now I know when you, write, when you read most English translations of verse 50, they read, go in peace. Only a few English translations translate with the term into. The Greek preposition, ein, is almost always used to mean to or into. The connotation is your faith has saved you, go into peace. Did she leave her lifestyle? I think so. The scripture doesn't tell us exactly what happened to her, but we do have a few other before and after stories that show us what happens to a person when that person truly repents. For example, Zacchaeus, a tax collector, restored the money he had swindled, and then some. Matthew, another tax collector, left tax collecting, and he followed Jesus. And the challenge Jesus gave to the woman who was caught in adultery was, go and leave your life of sin. The forgiveness Jesus offers is never a blank check to freely sin. The forgiveness of Jesus is the beginning of a new life in which saving faith continues to empower us every day. To this particular woman who washed the feet of Jesus with her hair, and to all of us who acknowledge our sinful ways and receive God's grace, Jesus says, go into peace. Enter into a peaceful life in harmony with God. It's powerful. Enter into a peaceful life in harmony with God.
Jesus came to clean your heart, to make room for the Holy Spirit to take control. If love, joy, and peace, if the fruit of the Spirit are in your heart, then you will experience the kind of life that Jesus wants you to live, an abundant life, walking with God through the transforming power of his Holy Spirit. So beautifully described in this story. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. 